BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Brian Grazer is a Hollywood producer whose films and television shows have been nominated for 43 Academy Awards and 217 Emmys and grossed $15 billion worldwide. He's produced everything from my favorite TV show of all time, Friday Night Lights, to critically acclaimed and Oscar-winning films like Apollo 13 and A Beautiful Mind. Grazer credits much of his success to his commitment to a practice he calls curiosity conversations. Today on the show, I talked to Grazer, who's also the co-author of A Curious Mind Expanded Edition, The Secret to a Bigger Life, about why he considers curiosity conversations the superpower that fueled his rise as one of Hollywood's leading producers. We talk about how these curiosity conversations are beneficial to have with everyone from VIPs to ordinary folks, how the ideas and connections they foster can enhance both your personal and professional life, what makes a curiosity conversation effective, and how to make them happen. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is slash curiositycoversations. All right, Brian Grazer, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. I was thrilled to be on The Art of Manliness. Can't go wrong with that. That's an awesome site. Well, uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. So you are an Academy Award-winning movie producer, and your credits include some classics like Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind. You got Splash, uh, among many other films. And you've published this book called A Curious Mind, where you share how the virtue of curiosity has played a pivotal role, not only in your professional career, but also just in your life of living a, a flourishing life. Yeah. And I, I want to start off with this, where you really learned the power of curiosity and it's how you got into the film industry in the first place. So how did curiosity lead you from going to law school to working in the film industry? Basically graduated from USC undergraduate in psychology, applied to USC law school, got in, planned on going. And as the semester and graduation came to a close, about the first or second day into the summer only, I overheard a conversation in my apartment complex with three law school grads talking about the easiest summer job they ever had. And so, of course, I leaned into that conversation and I closed my drapes in my little apartment and opened the window further so I could eavesdrop on these three guys discussing the virtues of their easiest job of all time. 
And one of them sounded awesome because it came with a company car. It was available today because the guy just said, I, I just quit my job. But it was the cushiest job of all time. And I thought, well, what could that be? He said, and so I overheard he said it was to work at Warner Brothers in the legal affairs as a law clerk. So I thought, I'm going to call up immediately. I call 411, then 843-6000, ask for the legal department at Warner Brothers. And sure enough, they said, come on in today. We do need a law clerk. And I got the job that day. Now, I didn't really want to be a law clerk, but I thought, well, that's the field that I think I'm going into, or at least planned on going into. And so now I'm in this little desk. I'm in the office, a tiny office with, with a desk. And nothing to do the whole week, like literally no jobs, no assignment, no filing. And he was right. It was the easiest job of all time. I mean, on the verge of being the most boring job. But then the following week, they said, deliver some papers. And I had to deliver these papers for what was going to be the movie Heaven Can Wait that would star Warren Beatty. So the papers were to go to Warren Beatty. And I then... As I was delivering the papers to Warren Beatty, an assistant said, just hand me the papers. At 21, I had the presence of mind to just say, well, the papers will be invalid unless I hand them directly to Mr. Beatty. And so I just invented that on the spot. And eventually I got up to Mr. Warren Beatty and I spent an hour with him. And that was the beginning of my very first conversation. What struck me from your story about how you went from going about to go to law school to becoming a law clerk where you're able to rub shoulders with actors and producers in Hollywood was you had that curiosity, but you took action. Like you actually did something about it. You called information and you said, you know, I'm going to actually going to do something. I think a lot of people, they stop at the, the interest and that's as yeah. far as they go. And it's always like a bunch of what ifs, but it seemed like you had this sort of carpe diems like, well, what do I got to lose by trying to talk to Warren Beatty? Yeah. I did think that as long as I'm polite and I'm thoughtful, it shouldn't be too much of an imposition. I just think that if you come from a place of the generosity of spirit, that people won't deny you or be offended or cut you short. And I've found that that is true, even when I had absolutely no Hollywood power and no Hollywood identity at all. I just found that if you reach out to people with genuine interest, the worst that'll happen is you're just being polite. And that's not such a high bar. You know, it's not a function of religion. It's not a function of anything other than, you know, simple things like the golden rule or simple things like having trust in your fellow brother, you know, brother or sister, you know, it's yeah. just really that. So you get to have a conversation with Warren Beatty. How did you get him to talk to you for an hour? And, and what did you ask him? What did you, what did you talk about? Well, in order for your curiosity to be effective and effective means where you get to learn the most about a person means where you have, you know, I would say a soul connection you have to have eye contact. You cannot be distracted. You can't be looking around. You have to be in a peaceful state, looking and communicating eyeball to eyeball with another human being. And literally, as, as the adage goes, 
use the windows of their eyes is the, is the window into their soul. And so I found that by being genuinely curious, not by asking a series of mechanically driven questions, but by just allowing yourself the freedom to just be. And by just being, you're going to find your way into questions and conversations that are actually real. And the more real you are by the connection of no, no distraction and eye contact, the better your date will be with that person. If you have interested eyes and you're a good active listener, most successful people want to talk about themselves. And oh, look, you're a master of it. You get important people on your show and you get them to talk about themselves because you have a reputation as, as someone that has that a, a, approaches things through a, an attractive thematic and you have credibility and you ask good questions and you're a good listener. So it's as simple, but as hard as that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with Warren Beatty, I was able to, I knew enough about by reading the trades, even as a little law clerk, I would read the trade publications. By reading the trade publications, it's somewhat demystifying because you're getting to under, you're getting through the language of Hollywood. Because just like every business has a language, and the language makes the heartbeat of the business complicated or more complicated than it has to be because it's the language barrier. Do you ever try to talk to a composer? It's very hard. It's very hard to talk to an engineer. And that's a lot of it is language. But if you can get through the language and become somewhat adept, then you will understand what the goals of that person are. What are their goals? What are the things they are moving towards? What are the things they're moving away from? Oh, yeah. I love that idea of eye contact. I want to talk more because you have some great advice on eye contact and the power of having these conversations with people in person. But that first conversation, you caught the bug and you started to systemize this, right? Like that yes. Warren Beatty conversation happened spur of the moment and you were like, this is amazing. I want to do this more. I'm going to uh, do this all the time. All the yeah. time. So you made a goal for a while. There was like one a day, right? Yes. So I made a goal that I would do every one that Warner Brothers had me. They sent me out on a mission, deliver papers to the author of the movie Exorcist, The Exorcist, or Barbara Streisand, or Mama Cass, or I can name a lot of people. So they sent me out on these missions. And I would turn the mission into a, a curiosity conversation. And then I realized I can do this with people that I have no that I don't even have a mission. I can reach out and say, hi, my name is Brian Grazer. I work at Warner Brothers Legal Affairs. This is not associated with studio business. And I'd love to meet your boss for five minutes. And I've researched them thoroughly. And after five minutes, I will leave and I won't make any requests. I will not ask for a job. And every person said yes. Every single one. And then you also, you started to expand after a couple of years, you started expanding to people outside of the film industry. Like you had a conversation with the guy that invented the hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Jonas Salk, who right. created the polio vaccine, Princess Di, Henry Kissinger, hundreds of Nobel laureates, including John Nash, which became a beautiful mind. 
uh, astronauts, CIA directors, which later became the uh, television series 24, the uh, rock star Bono, Mick Jagger, of course, all the tech founders, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Larry Page. I mean, I made a point to meet all of those people and presidents of the United States. And how did you decide, like, I need to talk to this guy? What, what was going on in your life where you're like, I need to have a curiosity conversation with Bono? Well, I'm a restless person. So uh, what goes on in my life is a constant flurry of activity, intellectual and emotional <laughs> energy. <laughs> so I burn a lot of energy just thinking. Like many people, I'm not a special, but... um you know, I'm, I'm a learner. I'm a lifelong learner. And the way to learn is to import people or subjects into your universe, your mental universe. Because, you you know, if you have an actual day job, which I did, even as being a movie producer, television producer, I had a day job. That was to do that. But I was never going to give up on these curiosity conversations. I found them literally the most fulfilling thing I was doing that I've done in life. I found that they served as a greater constellation of dots and experiences with new worlds and people, and that they often connected and proved to give me a very competitive advantage in storytelling in movies and television. I would was able to sign Denzel Washington or Tom Hanks or Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, uh, you know, so many of th these people that everybody wants, or Russell Crowe to three movies and Jodie Foster. Everybody wants those actors. Everyone, I was able to get the best talent. But the thing is, that wasn't a side effect. Like that wasn't your goal going into. No, this that was a side effect. That was a side effect. Okay, so curiosity got you from law school to the film industry as a law clerk. But how did you go from being a legal clerk, where basically you were just a gopher? I mean, you're just delivering papers. I was just a gopher. Yeah, yeah I was just to file papers periodically yeah. and gopher things around. Yeah. So how did, how did you go from that to producing Apollo 13? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God. How did I do? Okay. So that was quite a distance, sure. but basically the way it started is I realized I had no resources, no money, but I had a very active imagination and I was a doer. So I would act on things quickly, well-intentioned, but act, do things, do, do, do. And I started writing short stories, just, you know, could be one page, it could be two pages or 10 pages, no longer than that, really. And with these stories that I wrote, I would uh, protect myself by copyright and I'd go pitch them. And eventually two of them became movies for television that I produced at 25 years old. One was called Zuma Beach, the day in the life of Zuma Beach, kind of American graffiti at the beach, 24 hours, and where you break down the beach and the culture and the people in it. And it got very, very high ratings. And then the other one was a 20-hour miniseries on the Ten Commandments, using each commandment as an underlying theme in a, contempor you know, a contemporary story. So now I have some credibility. My imagination and the doingness, you know, acting, got me to a place where I was now produced two high quality projects. And then from there, I just, my career began and I then wrote the story and script to a movie called Splash. It's Tom Hanks falling in love with a mermaid. 
And that was really just about Brian Grazer finding the perfect girl. And then I defined what that would look like. And then to get us to Apollo 13, which is quite a distance, I spent 10 years writing and producing comedies, like the produced The Nutty Professor and Liar Liar and Parenthood and Kindergarten Cop, many of these movies. And then I realized you can make a lot of money, but you don't get enough respect producing comedies. So I thought, I'm going to do a drama. I want to do something that's really thoughtful and is taken seriously. And I learned through my curiosity conversations, the expertise of space and traveling into space and who does that, but an astronaut. I learned about astronauts. I learned of Jim Lovell, who was the captain of the flight of Apollo 13. I learned that he had written a 10 page outline, not so different than what I used to do on his failed mission to travel around the moon, to get to the moon and travel around it. And then I said, I reached out to Jim Lovell and said, I'd really like to make this into a movie. And he had belief and trust that I could do that because I had success, prior success. And, and I was earnest in my conversation. And that uh, became the beginning of what became the movie Apollo 13, which got nine Oscar nominations. And that, that's, that's what that was. Well, there, one of the stories that stuck out to me in the book you know, you mentioned in, when you were telling your, you know, shortened version of it that you started writing stories, writing scripts, but yes. it was a curiosity conversation that got you writing scripts. You talk about how um, yes. you got a meeting with Lou Wasserman, who was the head of MCA. And this yes. guy has been in the, he was a legend. He was in the movie industry since 1936, like head of MCA. And oh you, God. you somehow get in, like, I'm going to get in a meeting with this guy. I want to talk to him. I want to know how, yeah. what he does and how he can become a producer. And I, I love the story. He says, look, buddy, you somehow found your way into this office. You're basically full of it. I can see that. Right. There's two ways you become a producer. You got to have money and you got to know people. And he says, you don't have any of those things. So the only thing you can do <laughs> is you can uh, write. You got to own the stuff. And he handed you a, a legal pad and a pencil. He's all right, start writing. And then you wrote those TV scripts. Correct. That is exactly what happened. He spoke the truth that I had nothing because no one had like just said that directly to my face. And I acknowledged that that was truthful. And so I thought, well, then I better find, you know, be really, really, really resourceful and figure out what I might have. So what I did have was a tremendously, you know, an active imagination like many other people. But I knew that I had to write those ideas down and turn them into either stories and in many of the cases into screenplays. And that's how it started because one man with a lot of wisdom cut me off from going into his office and said, stop right here and told me I was full of shit basically and you better have something the next time you walk into this office. Another important relationship that you developed because of these curiosity conversations was with Ron Howard, right? So Ron Howard yes. directed Apollo 13, but you all have done lots of movies together. How did your curiosity start that relationship with Ron? Well, I still had that. I, I was the early stages of my curiosity conversations. And in that discipline, I would sentence myself to doing one per day. And they could be, you know, a whole variety of types of people at that time. They weren't always Nobel laureates or Henry Kissinger or Edward Teller, who was the father of the hydrogen bomb. They could be anybody that 
piqued my interest. I'm, I'm on my in my office at Paramount as the 25, 26 year old producer of television shows. And I look out my window and I see Ron Howard, Richie Cunningham on on Happy Days, and I thought I have got to meet Richie Cunningham. He's an American icon. He's right in front of me, basically. And I'm going to call his office and set a meeting. So I do. He reluctantly comes to my office because he's quite shy. And as he entered, energetically, I felt a different person than I had ordinarily felt. In other words, energetically, he exuded an energy of goodness about him, which translated to me that whatever he tries to do, he will succeed at it. So whatever he he wishes more than ever he could become, in this case was to be a theatrical movie director, which he wasn't, if he wishes for that to happen, and that's his obsession, I bet that will happen. And that's how that all came together. And I sort of trusted his soul and his energy, and I told him the three or four ideas that I had written And he loved the one that was an R-rated movie called Night Shift, which later starred Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler. And then he, at that moment where he wanted to do the R-rated movie, I said, well, I also have a PG-rated movie that would be my preference. And he says, well, I promise you I'll do it after. And that was called Splash, about a man, a regular guy, who falls in love with a woman and later learns she's a mermaid. Why did Ron want to do the R-rated movie? What was going on there? Well, what was going on there is that was the time where he was the very wholesome image of Richie Cunningham. And, of course, he was also Opie in, in the Andy Griffith show. And so he wanted to get rid of that image, that super, super wholesome, squeaky clean image, and uh, t- turn the dial a little bit. You know, He wanted to reveal that he had more edge. And that's what his goal was. And that's why he said he wanted to do the R-rated movie. When you first had that meeting with with Ron Howard, did you go into it thinking, okay, I want to have this conversation so we work together? Or were you just you just wanted to no. know what was going on with him? I just wanted to know what was going on with him, why he, you know, what made him tick. I all these meetings, I defined these meetings for me that I would not ask for anything. I wouldn't have an agenda and an ask that I would, I would permit myself to just have a pure conversation about that person, what they do for a living, what they're passionate about, what they think their superpower is, and get to the root of who they were as people and how they were able to optimize what they were or that superpower into their professional power. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. 
a lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Something you talk about in the book, when you have these conversations with people, you are curious in a specific kind of way. You call it emotional curiosity. What do you mean by emotional curiosity? Well, simply, that's just, that's, that would be, as we all talk about it, as EQ. I basically want to know, you know, what, what drives them. 
often there's an injury, an emotional injury in their life that drives them. And it doesn't have to be grand. It could just be being cut from high school football, which was mine, (laughs) um, in front of 200 kids. And that makes you, you know... The, the emotional injury either causes you, they, it causes you to get through the emotional injury to attain your potential, to attain your goal. The movie Eight Mile, which I produced with Eminem, was really about that. His emotional injuries as a young kid living in a trailer park with an abusive mom, an abusive, irresponsible mom, caused him a lot of problems early in life. And so in the movie, and it caused him a problem of not being able to even look at the audience when he was supposed to rap to the audience. And that is a huge barrier. And in that movie, it's about getting through those barriers and deliberate yourself from those, those issues that are holding you back. Okay. So yeah, when you have these curiosity conversations, you're not going to Ron Howard and say, asking, well, tell me about your technical approach to filmmaking. You want to know like, why does, Richie Cunningham want to make an R-rated movie. That's a hundred exactly. That's hundred yeah. percent right. Why does Richie Cunningham now want to make a, an R-rated movie? Right. Or you you had one curiosity conversation with the guy who developed the hydrogen bomb. You're not asking him. Well, tell me about the science. You, you want to know no. the story behind the story. Like, how do you deal yes. with grappling that you created this weapon that can kill tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. It's just, I want to know what drives people. Yeah. So with these curiosity conversations, you're still doing them. Do you still go for like, just like regular people? Like you're not going for the big names. Like, do you have curiosity conversations with, I don't know, the, the waiter or a barman at a hotel you're at? A thousand percent. Only just recently, I took an Uber, an Uber car and the driver, I started, I spoke to him. And he sounded Russian. He said, no, I'm Serbian. I said, okay, what's it like? And I started talking to him about Serbia, what it was like. What did he do? He was in the military, then in security. I said, do you still do security? I do part-time. And then I asked him, well, you must do a form of martial arts. Which one? I bring up Krav Maga. I bring up Wing Chun. I bring up several of these Aikido Karate, uh, several of these disciplines that, in fact, I've tried myself also through curiosity. And he said, no, I do one called Sistema. And I thought, what is Sistema? I got super excited. And so he drops me off the house. I said, show me what Sistema looks like. So he shows me what it looks like. And I said, can I pay you to teach me this art form? He said, sure. And so I I started paying him by the hour to teach me this art form. So the answer is yes, yes, yes. I do this with with regular people. No, yeah. I I think Uber drivers are some of the best people to have these curiosity conversations. I do this not all the time. You know, you you put the feelers out and maybe the person wants to talk. Maybe they don't. But I've had some great conversations with Uber drivers during my time. I had one, we were in, my wife and I were in LA a couple months ago and our, she was a taxi driver. It wasn't an Uber driver. She was a taxi driver, but she was from Jamaica and she just started telling us about, oh yeah, I I, was born in Jamaica, but then I lived in the United States and I went back to Jamaica to take care of my mother who was old. And she just, it was a, it was amazing. Like she just talked yeah. nonstop and we just kept asking her questions and just learning some really cool stuff that I otherwise wouldn't have known 
if I hadn't yeah. had this taxi drive with this woman. Yeah, and I agree with you with taxi drivers and and Uber cars. I not long ago I was making a movie in Hungary in Budapest, and I was supposed to that night have dinner with the ambassador to Hungary, the U.S. ambassador to Hungary, which I did. And on the drive there, the Uber driver told me so much about what was going on in Hungary and the refugee crisis. And it made me smart for that dinner that I was having like 15 minutes from then. You've done thousands of these curiosity conversations and you talk about lots of them in the books, but have any conversations been duds? And if so, what what makes them a dud? Okay, I'll tell you. Duds would be where I've done a lot of research and I have expectations based on the research of learning something new and being mystified a little bit because all these conversations should be mystifying as I should be mystifying to them. So it, you lean in and, and uh, you know, you're being, things are being revealed. So that was someone that created a natural foods, he's famous, so I don't want to say his name, a natural foods brand. And he was a dud <laughs> because he, he wasn't really into it at all. He, he, I think he just wanted to own a rest. I don't know. I, I, I he just wanted to own a restaurant and, uh, his, his motives were impure. I thought, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, another one that stood out to me was Isaac Asimov. Well, Isaac Asimov, who was the most prolific science fiction writer, that was, a dud, but I was the dud (laughs) because I mean, it, it reads as though he was, but he wasn't, he, you know, was an expert in science fiction and this tremendous writer. And, um, he and his wife met with me in New York and after less than 10 minutes, they just got up and left. They said, we're leaving. We're, we're, afra- we're afraid you're, you're not, we, they didn't feel intellectually stimulated by me. And I say they're right because the, uh, I probably didn't know science fiction well enough to attract his interest and in that he didn't have outside interest really. He had those, those were his interests. Okay. So, uh, what you makes, be prepared. yeah, you gotta be prepared. You gotta be prepared. And then also make sure that the person you're, you're having this conversation with like understands what you're doing because it sounds yeah. i mean, it sounds, I, mean yeah. I imagine what happens oftentimes you'll set up this curiosity conversation with an important person there's all these gatekeepers yeah, yeah and yeah. you get on the schedule and the person's schedule is just set by a team of people they have no clue they're gonna sit they're like okay talk to brian grazer who's brian grazer yeah. i don't know i got 15 minutes with him and they have no clue what's going on they're just trying to get through with this yeah. so they go on to the next thing yeah, I mean, I met with, I hope my assistant's taking some notes, but I got to meet with the CEO of Sequoia Ventures, John Leone, or it could be Leone. Oh, it's Doug Leone. Sorry, Doug Leone. And I swear, I think he thought I was the CIA. And I, I said to him, because he was so guarded, unbelievably guarded, he said, what are you doing? What are you driving at? He said to me, I said, well, you seem very guarded. You're like a mafia boss or something. And that was enough to get him to understand what I was trying to say and flatter him at the same time, because he wasn't, he's a tough, he's a serious guy, man. He's a really serious and he looks like a formidable guy. To me, he looked also like a bodybuilder. Now he'd probably laugh if he heard me say this, 
I say it only as a compliment. And then the walls came down and we had a great conversation. You're, so you're big on having these conversations in person. In person. And you've been talking a lot about eye contact. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you wrote a whole book about the importance of eye contact. Yes, which is incorporated into my new book. So yeah. uh, called A Curious Mind. So I, hopefully people will be, you know, New York Times bestseller. I hope people go see it. Or yeah. Read it. So, I mean, what yeah. is it about the in-person aspect? Like, why can't you do this on Zoom? Like, did you do these things on Zoom during the, the lockdowns, during the pandemic? And like, how are they different? I did do them on Zoom when we couldn't meet at all during COVID. They were not very satisfactory because you can't see people's, you know, there's no... You can't study their body movement, so you can't feel their energy or chemistry in any way. You can only kind of learn in the same way you might learn it through a textbook or a video. Yeah. And the eye contact is important, too. And on Zoom, you can't look people in the eye. Can't look people in the eye, and you never, almost never laugh on a Zoom. Yeah. There's very little humor on Zoom. There's very little Zoom humor. No, it's, it's why I don't use video on my podcast mm-hmm. because of that reason. I can't look people in the eye and it, it it's just, for me, it's distracting. I'd rather just hear your voice and make it almost like a phone call than have to deal with looking at the screen, then looking up at the camera and looking back down. It's, I don't like that. So I just go audio only. Really interesting. But speaking of eye contact, you've got some tips on how to get the most out of eye contact. How... Can you do eye contact? I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with looking people in the eye because they don't want to yeah. be creepy. Yeah. Any tips on eye contact without being a, a creeper? Yeah. If if look, if you you know if somebody could think you're a creeper or they're leery or they're, you know, so you what you do is you look at them so briefly so they see that you're seeing them as a person. But then you do divert your eyes down submissively. So you're not trying to have power over them in any way. So something I've read is that you want to keep eye contact for about five seconds. So that's about as long as it takes to speak a sentence. So you're looking in in the eyes or the eye. I mean, I think you can really only look at one eye at a time. And something else I read is that uh, looking at the right eye is best. And then you look down for a beat, then you look back in the eyes. So you're not locked in. You're not staring them down. No, don't stare them down. You could, you make sure you blink, you know, like don't, uh, don't do anything that could seem to be aggressive. Yeah. And you, you had to learn how to use eye contact. You tell a story where I think you had like an assistant or somebody tell you, it's like, Hey, Brian, you know, you don't look at people in the eye when you talk to them and you're like, I had no clue. Yeah. It was actually Ron Howard. It was Ron. Okay. Yeah, he said, he said, because um, I, you know, I have a little ADD, and so I, my tendency is to bounce around. And um, I was talking to the writers, the very, very successful writers of all of our successful comedies, Lowell Gans and Bablu Mandel. And Ron said, you know, when you talk to Lowell and Bablu, I don't think they feel respected by you. And I go, well, why? He says, because you don't look at them. I go, but I already know what they're saying. And I'm paying attention, aren't I? He says, you are, but you're not looking at them. And I know they feel, uh, they don't feel respected. I said, 
Okay. And I changed that immediately. Uh, let's say someone's listening to this and they, they love this idea of curiosity conversations, just having a conversation, having that emotional curiosity, wanting to figure out what makes people, what drives people, what makes them tick. How do you recommend getting started? I, mean, I imagine it's not uh, try to get a conversation with the president of the United States. Who's that first rung in the ladder, do you think? Um, anyone that you think is is authentically expert at anything. Yeah. So you could just be, I love this one guy so much. He was the best dad I've ever met. I mean, there were so many more successful people there around me. And this guy, he was a, an assistant caterer. No, he was the number two caterer on the Amtrak that goes from LA to San Diego. And he was just a great father. First, I had a conversation with him, and then I was always, we became friends, and I was always proud to have him as a friend because he was such a good dad. It could be as simple as that someone that's a really good parent or a good teacher, or, um, you know, your martial arts instructor or your trainer. Ask your trainer a question. You know, you go to a gym, there's probably a trainer there. Ask them. I mean, it's so easy. Yeah. Well, that guy who was a good dad, what made him a good dad? What made him a good dad is beyond just that he spent a lot of his time, he spent time with his kids. He understood what they were interested in and became interested in himself. He became really interested in skateboarding or wild posting stencils. He would share, have shared interests. They'd listen to songs together. They'd both sing to songs. So they'd put on a playlist and they'd both sing to songs. And there was uh, actually three kids. So he would do it, you know, one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or one-on-three. But he was always that person. He was in yeah. the, he was very in the moment. Okay, so start in your social circle you have right now. If you see someone that's got some kind of quirky interest that they're an expert at, Find out like what got them into it, what drives yeah. them to do that. And it requires you to pay attention. That's another thing that, that curiosity requires. Yeah, pay Re attention. It requires you to pay attention. So when you're at work, you know, if your coworkers work at cubicles, they probably got pictures or tchotchkes set up there oh, that point. say yeah. a lot about them. Like, well, they coach baseball or they love this film genre. I don't know. And then you can use that as, well, tell me about that. Well, tell me more about it. What do you know about that? So yeah, pay attention. Let's say people start doing that. How do you go about setting up a curiosity conversation with you know, VIPs? How do you make the pitch? You always pitch to their staff. Or if you meet some VIP, you might say, you know, version of, oh my God, I'd really love to have a conversation with you. I'd really like to have a five-minute conversation with you. And with a disclaimer, you know, that I don't want anything. I just want to, uh, but some kind of, you have to come up with something and then don't ask them for their contacts ever. And then you have to find them and they'll be impressed that you found them and, and you did it through the channels, through the assistants. Then you befriend the assistant. That's easy to do. Just treat them respectfully like human beings <laughs> and, and usually that usually try to make people laugh ultimately get to know the assistants. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's some good advice there. Respect the communication channels. Yes. And then also just make it very clear you're not looking 
for anything. You have no ulterior motives. Yeah. You don't want a job. You don't have you don't an want, agenda. Yeah, you don't have an agenda. Because I'm sure these, you know, these VIPs, they're constantly dealing with people with an agenda, which is why they put gatekeepers in front of them because they just want to avoid yeah. that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so how do you prep for a curiosity conversation? So you can have these on the fly, right? You can have them with your Uber driver, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But let's say you you set something up because you want to talk to I don't know, the head of some, the wildlife department in your state for whatever. I'm just, I'm just coming up with this. So how do you prep for that sort of conversation? Well, it, it's not hard. Um, you, you know, you would search them and you try to find out what their interests are. You go to social channels, you go to Instagram, you go, might go to Twitter. You might, you, but I like Instagram because it's visual you learn a lot. And if the person's well-known, I always go to YouTube. I love YouTube. Are there any starter questions you recommend to help people get the conversation going? Like, do you have any default ones you like to go to? I usually try to learn something about the person as we're talking about. And I would ask them a question that they wouldn't expect. So you don't ask a scientist about science, really. You would ask them, you'd probably go to their sports or or what are they obsessed with doing that is in the non-science world? Or what's an offshoot of that? Or what got them into it? But you try not to ask them, you know, you try not to get the keys to the kingdom like immediately. Yeah. You know who does a really good job at this who? is Tyler Cowen. He's an economist at George Mason University. He's written a couple of books, but he has a podcast called Conversations with Tyler where he has different people from all walks of life, but he asked like the, like the weirdest, obscurest questions, but he does it in a way that it digs out a lot from the person he's talking to. So I think if, if you're looking, if you, if people are wanting to look for some examples of some like really good kind of oblique questions or off the wall questions that can get to some bigger things, check out Tyler Cowan's podcast, Conversations with Tyler. So, okay, you have the conversation and of course you want to be paying attention and then you want this to be an organic thing, right? You just, you, you ask follow-up questions and, you know, say, tell me more about that. And then the conversation is over. Do you do anything after the conversation to process it? I write notes or I have somebody write notes for me, or sometimes I will ask very seldom, but I might say, can I record this? And they'll say, Yes. Um, that's what I do. Okay. So you write notes. Uh, and what's interesting, you talk about with a lot of these conversations and you, you write the notes, you often don't take action on it right away. Sometimes you just, you sit on it you don't even know what you're going to do with this stuff for a long time. A hundred percent. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so, yeah, you talk about, you know, you had a conversation with the director of CIA had no intention of, you know, creating a TV series after out of it, but like 24 came out of it. Yeah, well, twenty four was influenced. Influenced, right? Yeah, but so, but it's there, and so like when you're out living yeah. your life, you're working, you can be like, oh, I had this conversation. There's this nugget there. Maybe we can we can use that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine these conversations they beget more conversations. Like you talk to Warren Beatty, yeah. and then that can lead you to talk to some other person. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because then I'll want to. Know, he'll have a point of view about about why he makes movies or his sense of per, or, or or what what if he's he is purpose driven. What is the purpose? 
and then someone else is going to be of similar levels of accomplishment. You're going to ask them and, and see if they're motivated by the same things, or you just look to constantly expand your mind, bombard your mind with new things. I, I really love this. So I hope people, after they listen to this podcast, they're going to go out and have a curiosity conversation. Uber driver is a great way to start. Barista, person at the yeah. checkout line, start practicing. But where else can people go to learn more about the book and your work and how to have more curiosity conversations? Well, you can order the book. And I think you probably get order it on Amazon, I'm assuming. And you buy it. There's a bunch of places. All you have to do is look it up. A Curious Mind. You can order it on Amazon. And uh, I would suggest they just do that. Fantastic. Well, Brian Grazer, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a privilege. I'll talk to you again, I hope. My guest today was Brian Grazer. He's the co-author of the book, A Curious Mind Expanded Edition. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Check out our show notes at aom.is slash curiosity conversations, where you find links to resources where we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, it's Brett McKay, reminding you to listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.